Hey, it's Mike of New York back on with more uh, content for you here on uh, the Mike of New York podcast. This November, we've been a little slow these last couple of weeks. I've uh, been having some issues with my eyes. And to those of you who don't know, I am legally blind. I do suffer from glaucoma. And uh, sometimes the vision just acts up and it's just not there in a way that would be, um, well, perfect for me to be able to um, deliver the content the way I want to. It's, it is frustrating for someone who used to be able to produce, you know, 20, 30 stories a day to suddenly not be able to do that. Uh, it, it gets to you at a certain point. I am working on it to be able to deliver more content and also hopefully finding new doctors who can uh, deal with uh, the possibility of preserving what vision I have left and, uh, you know, improving where it can be improved. Uh, although they say, you know, there's not really much they can do with glaucoma. It is uh, basically a battle of trying to just outlive the blindness that eventually will take over your eyes at a certain point in life. However, I refuse to give up. I always think, uh, you know, medical science is a wonderful thing and God guides the hands of surgeons and doctors and, and experts and there's always a way for something somewhere, somehow. Years ago, they never thought that, for example, uh, transfusions and um, uh, things like uh, organ transplants or uh, other methods of uh, being able to do things would, would be able to be done. But it's not just my podcast that's suffering. I have to admit that, you know, physically, um, I don't get around as much as I'd like, and thus I'm a little bit hefty now. Yeah. Hey, Nelly. When I walk around the house, I walk around the house. Yeah. Hey, hey, hey. (laughs) I can do the Fat Albert thing without really doing much. I should go Fat Mike. Maybe we need to change the name of the... Change the name of the podcast to the Big Mike Podcast. You know, we could all be right there and talking like this. And, you know, um, <laughs> maybe I could wear a checkered shirt and do a mixture of hey, 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 because it is New York City. Uh, <laughs> and get her done. You know, kind of like a, a, a redneck big guy in a semi-ghetto. Who knows? <laughs> There's an idea. There's a thought. There's a thought. Speaking of the ghetto... New York City is often seen as uh, a lot of things to a lot of people. Crime is its biggest problem. And as we well know, New York City has joined California, Oregon, and Washington State in legalizing the sale of recreational marijuana. No, I'm not going to tell you a uh, user story because I don't use. Uh, I personally, as a choice, um, do not. Uh, smoke anything anymore. At one time, I was a heavy consumer of tobacco. Um, I was one of those typical one and a half to two pack a day smokers. That's probably why my glaucoma came on so quickly. At the current rate, someone is shot in Chicago every two hours, 19 minutes. A significant factor in the gun violence is the heroin trade. All the kids on it, everything, young kids, everything. They gonna never stop. You got here with lots of users. That means 
It probably a supply around here somewhere. That's it, I'm selling it. Heroin buys the weapons, pays the gunmen, and motivates turf battles for the rights to sell the drugs. The battles ultimately melt down into the endless cycle of gangland vendettas. Chicago gangs get their funding and their power from narcotic sales. 100% of their narcotics are supplied by the Mexican cartels. It is more than just retail drug dealing. Chicago is a spot where rail lines, interstates, and airports all come together to form one of the world's best transportation hubs. Unburdened by high taxes, drug distributors use Chicago to get narcotics to the middle of the nation and cash back home. Chicago has the second largest Mexican-American community in the United States. So just like La Cosa Nostra and the organized crime used family ties, so too the cartels exploit family ties to accomplish what they, what they want to do. The DEA says the capture of Joaquin El Chapo Guzman has hurt the Sinaloa cartel, but the Jalisco New Generation cartel, Los Rojos, and Guerreros Unidos have stepped up to meet the heroin demand. Heroin seizures are up. Arrests are up. There are more new investigations. Yet, the price of heroin is down. Our assessment is that the uh, other cartels um, have increased their share of the market. For heroin distribution? Ain't no slowing down. Ain't gonna never slow down, man. Increasingly, drug agents are seeing fentanyl show up in the streets of Chicago. That's a synthetic heroin or opioid, the same stuff that killed Prince. Oftentimes, it's mixed with heroin to increase the potency. But agents are seeing it mixed with synthetic marijuana, cocaine, with party drugs. The strategy on the part of the distributor is to get the buyer hooked. Then you have a customer for life, no matter how short that life may be. <coughs> yeah, see what I mean? <laughs> but that is a reality. Uh, you know, I mean, that cough was because it's probably getting near 30 degrees outside right now. And uh, I walked out in the rain a little while ago to try to get some exercise in. But again, as we were saying, so New York City is one of those cities that has decided to legalize the sale of recreational uh, marijuana. And, uh, in fact, does not uh, prosecute anymore many drug-related crimes if the level of product seen is of a mild level. What does that mean? It means personal consumption. So if somebody has uh, a couple of pills in their pocket uh, or, you know, uh, uh, possibly some other substances that, that they abuse... And it is not exactly at a level that is seen of a commercial viable thing. It's still going to prosecute you. If you're smoking crack near a high school or elementary school, you're in trouble, dude. But that's the same thing if you happen to decide to meet the call of nature by peeing against a schoolyard fence. You will also learn that, <laughs> guess what? You hit the trifecta. You, you know, <laughs> public uh, indecency, oh goodness, all those things. Well, that's the same thing with drug use. If you uh, are stupid enough to consume a alcoholic beverage or a controlled substance, such as pot, outside a school building, federal or state or city court, police station, oh please, that's a good one, post office, or any other government venue, and you're actually blocking an entrance uh, of any public venue, uh, you can be charged still for those offenses. The penalties are much less, obviously, but you can still be charged. I see people saying, oh, it's legal now. They walk into the subway, and then they get 
angry. They get pissed off when, when a cop drags them down and says, well, well it's legal now. And says, no, you can't smoke a cigarette on the subway. You get a penalty if you, you smoke a cigarette on the subway. They're going to make you put it out. Uh, they're going to fine you. And in some cases, they might even arrest you, especially if you're you know dropping the uh, cigarette butts uh, inside a train or inside a bus. Uh, guess what? That's not allowed. Same thing with pot. Same thing with crack. Same thing with any other controlled substance. There may be a recreational drug use law that allows marijuana specifically and is a little more lenient on others, but the thing is there. The law is clear. The New York Post today was reporting on a story about the level of sales legal to illegal that is taking place. Now, they're calling it bootleg, which is basically similar to what was happening during Prohibition, where you had a lot of illicit sales, unlicensed, untaxed sales, which is still going on. In Brooklyn, New York City, members of the Wu Gang have been mercilessly hunting their rivals for years, with gang leadership enacting a shoot-on-sight policy. The violence has been targeted primarily against the rival Cho Gang, which they believed was in part responsible for the death of Wu member Shamel Boomer. The group started the Booming for Boomer movement, which resulted in many shootings across the city. The Cho Gang had been desperate to retaliate and struck back against the Wu's in numerous acts of violence. With the GDs and the Cho's and the Joe's. Joe. <laughs> this is the Ops right here. For all my fans, for all my fans, this is this is the Ops. This is where. This is where OMB and them is from, the Ops. They right across the street. On March 25, 2022, two alleged members of the Cho Gang did something truly horrific. At 6 p.m. Friday on Riverdale Avenue near Amboy Street in the Brownsville section of Brooklyn, a man, who was not alleged to be in any gang or have any involvement with the perpetrators, was putting a baby into the backseat of his car. He had just picked her up from a daycare that was located in the area. The Brooklyn DA's office detailed what is alleged to have happened next. Alleged Cho member, Dalik Habersham, also known as Dalik EBK, arrived in the area in a BMW driven by fellow Cho member Princess Chambers. Surveillance video shows him stepping out of the car and walking towards the man with his baby, who, again, was just a random civilian. Dolly Habersham believed that the man was actually one of his rivals, and he pulled out a gun and attempted to massacre him. Surveillance video shows him shooting repeatedly at the man, and while he missed him, one of his bullets hit a three-year-old girl who was walking with her mother out of the same daycare. Habersham then ran to the BMW driven by Princess Chambers, which was already driving away without him. He jumped in and the two sped off. Detectives combed through surveillance photos and identified who they believed was the suspect. That is what the NYPD, the DEA, uh, and, and, you know, New York State Police are talking about when they're having conferences and discussing the increase of violence in the city of New York. But the biggest problem they have are prosecutors like Alvin Bragg, who look at drug-related crimes as just an economic activity that 
burdens their justice system and doesn't allow them maybe to play golf or you know engage in other political activities or harass their political opponents because that's basically what prosecutors do right i mean letty james has spent more time more energy and more money letty james by the way for those of you who don't know is the uh, attorney general of the state of new york has spent more money to persecute and prosecute anybody who supported donald trump over the last four years than anybody else in the united states even more time than the justice department because that's what she promised she would do that's what she was one of the basis for her election that she would go after donald trump and she would try and 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 run him you know out of business and and seize all the trump towers and 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 destroy the trump family business and do everything they could do while at the same time the drug markets the narcotic economy has flowed unabated and the violence stemming from all this continues unabated there are very few prosecutions and a lot of the hate crimes you see out on the streets where people are suddenly angry and mad and paranoid and beating up people well guess what that's caused by drug use baby a lot of people consuming too many substances that they shouldn't be consuming and that's what happens that's the reality so for those of you listening to me right now listen to what i'm saying there is a need for proper enforcement there is a need for a look at the situation and we're going to look at it closely through this listen learn to this Congressman Clay Higgins has been warning uh, veterans and also those people who are deeply involved in the uh, medical marijuana uh, issues to, to remember that much of the product that is out there is not your grandfather's pot. It's not your grandfather's weed. It's not the same thing that was grown in backyards throughout the United States in the 60s and 40s and 50s. It's not reefer madness. It's genetically modified and it can be harmful. Now, Congressman Higgins, uh, when he talks about it, is mocked, obviously, by the Democrats who just want to get high. And they don't really care about, you know, the fact that so many kids are overdosing and getting into trouble with these extremely genetically modified uh, levels of uh, cannabis and and, uh, other products and also vaping, you know, things. So let's listen to Clay Higgins. And now, by the forbearance of the ranking member, I'm going to recognize our friend from Louisiana, Mr. Higgins. I thank the chairman. Mr. Chairman, I personally strongly advise young Americans, I speak to all the time, before Congress and as a cop, it's a, it's a part of the narrative of our country regarding marijuana and its impact. I, and I personally strongly advise young Americans to refrain from even the limited use of modern, super high THC marijuana in any form. It's just too powerful. I've seen scientific analysis uh, showing THC levels as much as two, three, four thousand times the average THC level from marijuana of the 70s. It's just not your grandfather's weed anymore. However, that being stated, 
I'm a constitutionalist, and I, and I support the freedom of individual Americans to determine their best course of action for medical treatment. So I, I'm publicly have supported for years uh, the, the veteran administration's access to prescribed medical marijuana for our veterans. So, Mr. Gopal, I'm going to move to you in a second because, Mr. Chairman, you are a constitutionalist scholar, and we discussed before, you know, we face a very real constitutional quandary in America. We have, have federal restrictions of, of marijuana. It's a Schedule One drug, and yet we have our sovereign states have legalized marijuana, decriminalized it to some level across the country. We can just not continue to ignore the fact that we have to address this constitutionally. And personally, I think it could be a very good idea, certainly be subject for debate, perhaps in the 118th Congress, perhaps in this committee, to talk about uh, rescheduling marijuana to, to Schedule Three or even four. But for, for Mr. Gopal, I'm particularly concerned about my veteran brothers and sisters having access to whatever medicine that they determine is best to treat their condition, whether it's pain management or PTSD, you know, whatever the case may be. It, it, marijuana is currently a Schedule I controlled substance. So just to clarify for America, it's currently unavailable to veterans through VA health facilities. Is that correct, sir? Yes, uh, VA doctors and in, in physicians being federal employees are barred from discussing. Well, they can discuss, but they cannot do anything for more than discuss. Uh, exactly. Cannabis. Thank you for clarifying that. So, but, but there are clearly potential benefits of medical marijuana for veterans. Again, we're not talking about high school children. We're not talking about young Americans in college that, that want to experiment and party. I completely discourage that behavior. We're talking about mature veteran men and women who have some form of, of service-related condition that they need to treat. And clearly, there are potential benefits for medical marijuana for veterans who are suffering chronic conditions. Would you address, Mr. Gopal, like what, what happens in the, in the real world on the street when a veteran figures out that it may be his best course of action to, to use marijuana medically to treat his condition, but he cannot access it from the VA legally. How's that veteran get his dope? So it depends on their state of residence. Uh, I mean, if they are in one of the 150 million Americans in a legal state, then there's a process by which adults can purchase THC products. Pretty much every veteran has access to Right, CBD. but technically that puts them in violation of federal law, yes, which brings us back to the constitutional quandary that we must address in this body, and I look forward to working with my colleagues across the aisle. It might be the one thing we can completely agree on. I'm going to advise that the States Reform Act protects states' rights, protects VEX, regulates labeling for, potential, for potency concentration. So having been a spoke, spokesman for my colleagues there, let me not uh, forget to introduce on behalf of my colleague, Representative Biggs, if I may, for the record, Mr. Chairman, a statement uh, by an organization called Smart Approaches to Marijuana. Without any objection at all. So, Mr. Gopal, in my final 15 seconds here, do you have, do you have a word for America regarding what Congress should do 
for marijuana as it regards our veterans. Go. I would say that because veterans are in that special quandary being a population that receives federal health care, there is no other option other than descheduling. Because with, without descheduling, you are still criminalizing some forms of possession and denying veterans the access that they need. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I thank all the panelists. I, I very much appreciate you being here. I yield, Mr. Chairman.